Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Once again, the elephant room, and we've been talking about some spicy things in here. Have you been enjoying it? Yeah. Hey, well, before I dive in, I wanted to just really implore you, if you feel like the Lord is calling you to help be a part of this next campus that we believe that God has led us to, it's been a whirlwind of events, but God has led us, and we believe he's going to continue to call people over there. I just want to say to you, even in this moment, some people are sensing um, something from the Lord. He's telling you, maybe this is something that you should look into, at least go to the interest meeting. Let me tell you, We don't need more people there. We need more obedience there. So if you aren't called to be there, don't feel any pressure. It's not on you. This is not on us to do. We believe that this is a miraculous work that the Lord has done. But God requires obedience. So if that's for you. Um, Don't feel compelled to out of guilt or because you think that you're going to help it in your own strength because numbers are going to help it. No, it's because God is going to work through obedient hearts. Amen? Awesome. All right. Well, here we are back in the elephant room. It's been a busy weekend. We had Sisters Night on Friday. Woo, woo. Yeah, a few of you were there. Okay, yeah, it's so good. It was that was one hot August night, and then Saturday we went to River Cats game. It was a, it was a killer game. I didn't stay to see who won. Um, it would have been a really late night for me. Um, but that was another hot August night. So we're gonna continue with a hot August morning, okay? And talk about hell. Okay. <laughs> see what I did there? Um, so we're talking about hell this morning. And before I get really serious, and you know. Let everybody know if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to hell. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's so interesting that, and true, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Why is hell an elephant room topic? Why is hell an elephant room topic? You know, there's been movies that were made about heaven being real. Can you imagine there being a movie about hell being real? That'd be scary. But here's, here's the thing. Actually, y'all have been watching some crazy things. Okay, I may share a few (laughs) logins and I see what people watch, okay? (laughs) And sure, don't share logins, okay? (laughs) Some of you do, okay, whatever, whatever. We will not all be damned to hell. Listen, some of the things that we're watching that emulate hell are perpetuating this idea that hell isn't real because it seems so outlandish and it seems so like bizarre and so evil. But I'm here in this elephant room to tell you that it's real. It's real. So actually, don't be watching that stuff. (laughs) Um, I really believe that it's messing up the truth. What is coming into our minds is altering the truth and desensitizing us to the truth that hell does, in fact, exist. Jesus tells us himself that hell exists. He refers to it on multiple occasions, one being in Matthew 10, 28. He warns Um, about the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, highlighting the eternal nature of the punishment. Hell is a punishment for those who do not surrender their lives to the Lord. In Mark 9.43, he says, Jesus spoke, or it says that he speaks of hell and 
and it says, where the fire never goes out, implying that there is unending torment. Then in Matthew 25, 41, I'm going to read the whole context of this, but Jesus mentions hell as a place that is prepared for the devil and his angels. This is what Jesus is saying himself. So I'm going to give you some more context, Matthew 25, 31 through 45. And let's start. There's going to be a lot of scripture this morning, okay? So bear with me, follow along. Um, But here we go as Jesus talks to us about hell. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when he, when we We did see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you. And then, excuse me, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is something that we hear about, but we don't want to admit that when we aren't loving people well, we're essentially not loving him well. And if we're not loving him well, perhaps we don't actually know him. Because when you know who he is, then you can't help but respond by loving him. I want to tell you this morning, and I didn't say this first service, and I wish I had, but I'm reminded that our first ministry is to minister to the heart of our creator, to worship him, to love him, to worship him, I live. We sing this song, to worship you, I live, I live, to worship you. He is our creator. But there's this whole concept of hell that we're, it's easy for us to say, yeah, heaven exists, and we'll live there forever into eternity, But then when we really think about hell, it's uncomfortable for us. And perhaps it's uncomfortable because we have a fear of death. If there is a fear of death, which we've seen that a lot in the last few years, a fear of death. And I think people were wilding out. This is not a political statement. I'm just telling you, we saw people get more afraid of the things of this earth than the wrath of God. And when we fear the things of this earth more than we fear the wrath of God, we don't know who our Savior is. And we're walking around in fear. And again, this isn't a political statement, but we've got to change our mindsets and focus on the mission at hand. So 2 Corinthians 5.8, we don't understand that. It says, yes, we are of good courage, and we we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. For those of you who said, come on, you get it. It's good to be with the Lord. It's good to be with the Lord. But some of us are walking in fear and we're just kind of like, oh, I mean, but I'll follow him if it means I'm not going to go to hell. And I'm afraid that at the surface level of many of our faith, all we care about is avoiding hell. Not loving our Savior. 
So today we're talking about the truth that there is a hell. But the way that we deal with this truth is one of three ways. I think some of us are living in flat-out denial. We deny the existence of hell in the afterlife. And a lot of us subscribe to great thinkers and great authors. Not, not the word of God. But great authors like Rob Bell who says that there is no such thing as hell. Essentially, hell is things like genocide that takes place on earth. Things that have happened, um, you know, the elimination of many Jews, um, a lot of the breakouts in East Africa, Rwanda, even Kenya, all that East African in tribal fighting. Oh, that's genocide. That's, that's hell. But when we don't accept the full truth of what hell is, it changes our definition of love. Rob Bell, he wrote a book, Love Wins. And because he has written, and I don't want to just blame Rob Bell. There's a lot of people who just don't believe that um, hell exists. And a lot of people will deem things love that aren't actually love and hashtag love wins and not really understand what love is because only a loving father, because there's no way a loving father, this is our reasoning, would ever damn people to hell. But what about a just father? We're going to get there in a second. If we don't, if we deny the truth, if we don't deny the truth, then we sometimes design a new truth. This is another way of dealing with the elephant in the room, and we subscribe to something called annihilationism. And this is denying the eternal nature of hell, annihilationism. This is the thought that, you know, God would never damn people to hell, but what he will do is he will create um, this place where people who don't accept him or who sin and who, are, who, are, who never ask for forgiveness, he'll send them to a place like hell, and he will annihilate them altogether and just won't exist. I think some people in the pit of their despair would be like, yeah, yeah, I subscribe to that. But that's not the truth. So then the life that you're living is motivated by a lie. So if we deal with the elephant in the room by denial or designing a new truth, um, if we don't do either of those, sometimes we just subscribe to an alternate truth or design an alternate truth that many have heard of, which is called purgatory. And that is actually not scriptural, and I'm not here to prove or disprove these because I'm just going to prove that there is a reality of hell. But denying the truth of hell, uh, purgatory, what it does is it determines an alternate truth. An alternate truth that is really based on one scripture in Matthew. Again, I'm not going to go into it, but... Um, Essentially, you can essentially pray people into heaven and rely on the prayers of people left on earth. Why do we believe these things? Why don't we accept the truth that hell does, in fact, exist? Well, one belief, I, I, one reason, I think, is that we don't want to be labeled as unloving. How many people are just afraid that people just aren't going to think that I'm loving? That could be a reason, or another reason could be that, well, that means that God isn't just. How can I be a Christian and, and, and follow Christ and represent him if, if everyone thinks I'm following an unjust God? So what do we do? We change the truth. I'm going to get to this later, um, 
But what I really believe is when we deny the truth, we design a new truth or we subscribe to an alternative truth, we're not operating in truth, so therefore we're not being who God created us to be. I'm going to get there, but let's first look at this whole idea of hell, the reality of hell, excuse me. In the scriptures, and again, Caleb and I have said this throughout the elephant room, that we see through a biblical worldview. Everything that we see through is through the lens of the scriptures, and this is what the scriptures say about hell. Matthew 8, 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, weeping. Weeping, when you think about the times that you've wept, it's been times of great pain. It's been times of great confusion. Just think about that for a second. When I think about gnashing of teeth, I think about, and I know this is probably kind of a funny, weird thing to say, but is there anybody who doesn't like getting in the pool, the swimming pool? Nope, okay, just me. I was just trying to bring a little levity (laughs) to the room. I can't get in the pool unless it's like 92 degrees. The water is 92 degrees, and it has to be like 100 degrees outside. Because I get in if it's under 80, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, why do people enjoy this? You know, (laughs) I'm just, whatever. It's painful. That's the best I can think of. And I'm gnashing my teeth, and I'm just gritting it because it's cold. And I'm like, so fun, right, kids? And mom is suffering. Think about the coldest area or the hottest area you could ever be where you just feel like you are on fire or you are so cold it hurts. That's what hell is like. Revelation 20:15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what the scripture says. And there's a Greek word that's used in the Old Testament, and it's Hades, which is a similar term for hell. So you'll hear about Hades, and essentially it's this terror, this tormented space and darkness. The Hebrew word for hell is Sheol, which is another corresponding word for hell. You'll read it a lot in the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. And... This is referring to the kingdom of the dead. Both good and bad people are here. But remember, um, Jesus isn't, hasn't come on the scene during the Old Testament, right? And he has ascended into heaven. And so um, this whole plan of us being rescued by Jesus has, did not exist. So Sheol was just this place of death, the kingdom of death. And you'll read about that. So now that you come upon that word, you'll understand that it's hell-like. But the New Testament, using the word Sheol, is really referring to the hell where people are damned to. Can you imagine the pastor saying so many curse words? And what? Just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to open up the message and just, like, use all these jokes and say bad words, but whatever. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, and then there's this Hebrew word, Jehenna, that we read of in Joshua. And this place is the Valley of the Sons, where there was great idolatry that happened in this time and where there were children who were sacrificed. And I read all about it, and it was pure evil. If you could think of the most evil thing that you can, this probably, this probably matches that. Essentially what is happening in this area is that they're worshiping two primary gods, the, the names... I don't have them right now in my head, but they are sacrificing children to these gods. That's what is required of them. And so what they do in the heat is that they 
they have a child in their hands, and it's almost gross to even say, but I need you to understand how evil and tormenting hell is. But you have a, they sacrifice babies by putting them in their hands and essentially roasting them in the sun. And that was what was required of that God, two gods in Gehenna. So we read about that in Joshua. And King Josiah, he was the righteous king of Israel. And he decided that he will defile the temples to those gods. And it would forever be a place of evil, marked as evil. No one should ever set foot there because such evil has been done. Idolatry. You know, some of us think that our idols aren't that evil. I want you to start thinking about what it requires of you, what you are actually sacrificing for the idols in your life. King Josiah, righteous king of Israel, defiles that temple. And then the prophet Jeremiah, he curses it. But that is the best way that they could describe hell, using that word Gehenna, using that place so hell is absolutely a place. Hell is absolutely a place that affects our physical being. Hell is absolutely real. It is not just this place in our minds or this ideal. It is a place that Jesus was not lying about. He could not lie. It's where people are damned to hell, are damned to. So the New Testament, you'll hear about it, the abyss, the place of torments, a pool of fire, the furnace of fire, unquenchable fire, everlasting fire, exterior darkness, mist of storm of darkness. Some people are like, oh, well, I love the night. I love the darkness. Yeah, well, there's stars. Where well, there's the sun. There's the moon. There's um, the lighting that we've created. We have not all experienced darkness, truly. We have experienced darkness in a small room, but can you imagine vast darkness? Also in the New Testament, the state of the damned is called destruction, perdition, eternal destruction, corruption, death, and second death. So I get it. I get it why people don't want to talk about this. It's horrible. It's evil. We've desensitized ourselves to it by the things that we have watched, by the things that we see. And this isn't just because of the movies that we see now. It's just because people are deceived and the enemy does not want you to believe the truth. And this has happened since the first century. Actually, there was this theologian, Origen was his name, of Alexandria. Alexandria was a place in Egypt where Gnosticism was rampant. As people are coming to the saving knowledge of the gospel, this place in Egypt is growing as a place celebrating Gnosticism. And... I can understand why theologians are like, well, maybe hell isn't completely real, right? In the same way that we're like, yeah, love wins. Love, everything is awesome, everything. You know, that's what we say. That's what we think. That's what we hope for. We deny that there's a truth of a place that was prepared for the enemy and his demons. But Origen, he lived in 185 to 254. He started um, putting out writings and 
talking to uh, a lot of theologians and minds and great minds. You know how in a city people start celebrating the things that are man-made and they're not living off the earth anymore? So that's why there's a lot of arrogance sometimes in cities. And I know this just because I was a church planner in a city and there's a level of, oh, we're in the city. And it's like you quickly realize like, no, this is God's doing, stop. <laughs> but even, you know, probably people who um, lived in the city and there's this, there's this confidence that comes because there's this self-made area that you're, you created for yourself. And so some of the ideals of this place in Alexandria where Origen came from was precipitating these thoughts that maybe hell wasn't actually real. We're not going to stick to the full gospel for comfort's sake. Is anybody uncomfortable? <laughs> well, when these kinds of writings started coming out, then we start to see other theologians rise up. There's two particularly who started writing in the, in the East, and there are saints and theologians named Methodium, who died in 311, and Epiphanius, who lived from 310 to 403, who's precipitating or, or is trying to um, combat this lie that hell isn't real and is writing to people in the West that hell is indeed real. St. Augustine is a great example of somebody on, in the West who really believed and was trying to get the message out there that hell is real. These first, second, and third century people are saying, don't listen to the lie that is informed by self-importance. I do believe that this level of not believing hell is a distortion of the truth. Ignatius of Antioch, let me read to you what he said. He was also one who wanted to defend the gospel and share the truth that hell does in fact exist. He says, corruptors of families will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if they, they who do these things according to the flesh suffer death, how much more if a man corrupt by, corrupted by evil reaching the faith of God for the sake of which Christ, Jesus Christ was crucified. A man becomes so foul will depart into unquenchable fire, unquenchable fire, a place. He will depart from the presence of God and go into unquenchable fire, and so will anyone who listens to him. Then there's a martyr, the martyrdom of Polycarp. This, Polycarp, this is what he says. Fixing their minds on the grace of Christ, the martyrs despise, despise worldly tortures and purchase eternal life with but a but a single hour. To them, the fire of their cruel torturers was cold. They kept before their eyes their escape from the eternal and unquenchable fire. You know, this is a great reason for us to believe that hell is real because people who are living in the first and second century after Jesus resurrected, they knew what the truth of the gospel was and they were giving their lives to it. They're if we believe that hell is not real, then what were they dying for? And they are saying themselves so that they, the cruel torturers are cold, but we're keeping their eyes on the escape that we don't have to be in an eternity of hell. This is what they die for. And finally, Irenaeus from the second century, he says, the penalty increases for those who do not believe the word of God and despise his coming. It is not merely temporal, but eternal. Hell is not a temporary thing. It is eternal. To whomsoever the Lord shall say, depart from me, accursed ones, into the everlasting fire, they will be damned forever. This is what the martyrs are saying. This is what the early theologians are saying. These are the ones who have not been corrupted by self-importance. They're saying we're giving our lives to the truth of the gospel and the message 
We love people so much and we love the one who loves us so much that we are gonna share the message that there is a hell. Oh, we just wanna talk about God's grace and God's forgiveness right now because we don't wanna deal with the reality of what happens when we don't give our lives to the loving one. I really do believe that the truth that hell exists impacts our mission in life, our message to others, and our motivation for our behaviors. What is the mission of your life? You know how many vision board making things I've been to with women's groups? Oftentimes it's our career goals. Oftentimes it's our family goals. Oftentimes it's whatever the greatest influencer is doing at the moment. I'm sorry, that's what's motivated some people. That has been some of the people's missions in life to do these things and accomplish these things on this earth. And I'm sorry if we stay at that surface level understanding of what our lives are meant to be, we are falling short of the mission that God has called us to build his kingdom. What is your mission in life? Ask yourself that question. Does it have anything to do with letting people know the truth of the gospel? That should be every Christ follower's goal. Our message to others. What is your message to others? When was the last time that you even shared your faith? I'm not gonna say that you don't love them. I'm gonna say that perhaps you have not received the full revelation of a loving God who wants you to share the love that you are receiving from him and share it with others. We've gotta share the love of Christ with others. We don't want them to be damned to hell. What is motivating you? What is your mission? What is your message? What is your message to your kids? Is it that you want them to be great students and fire athletes or amazing video game play? I don't know. I'm just trying to think of some things. Or you want them to be obedient just to make your life easier? What are you talking to your kids about? What are you sending them on mission to when they go to school? What is the message that you are sending by the life that you live? What is the motivation for your behavior? I'm afraid that it is as shallow as avoiding hell. But God is saying, it's more than how you act to avoid hell. It's more about that call that I have for you to be holy as I am holy. Because here's the thing. Like I said, the truth determines who we are. I wonder if some of us don't accept the truth of what hell actually is. It's because we don't want to live a higher standard of life. Sometimes I wonder if we are just wanting to skate by and hopefully make it to heaven comfortably. We were never meant to have a comfortable life here on earth when we are serving a perfect God and we're in an imperfect world. So to think that we could skate by this earth without any suffering and the goal in life is just to, everything is awesome, everything is cool. When I'm da -da -da. Guys, that song keeps on coming to my head. And it's as irritating, <laughs> so irritating. But when we're living that well, that way, man, I feel like it's so surface level. It's so childish. It's very immature. And I'm not calling you out to be like, like 
get better, get more mature. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying understand who you are and what mission you're on, what message you're supposed to share, what behavior you're supposed to modify so that we can bring honor to the one who created us. And if we are to bring honor to the one that we created, who created us, then we're going to be truthful about what he says is true and that hell does in fact exist. I think that C.S. Lewis says it right here. There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened to you. Sometimes when we think about death we talk or hell, we think about questions like, is hell a fair punishment? Um, who will go to hell? How can I avoid hell? And these questions are okay to ask, but I believe that God is saying, ask the questions that are seeking me, that are knocking on my door. I want you to be with me in my presence. And I want my will to be done for your life because it's good. Because it means you are with me and I am with you. But what happens is we say, no, he looks at us and he's saying, you're just saying thy will be done. We're saying, yes, Lord, our will be done. My agenda, what makes me comfortable? What makes me temporally happy? And our perspective is so short-sighted. And God is saying, I want to be with you. The truth of hell actually only reveals what we don't fully know about God. The truth that hell exists helps us understand God. How, number one, the truth reveals his holiness. God is so holy. We spoke a message weeks ago. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is so holy that anything that's unholy cannot be in his presence. But do you want to know how holy and good he is? That he will not just damn you to hell and be like, you're never going to be holy. Nothing can holy be in my presence. No, what he does every Sunday that you come here, every prayer room that you're a part of, every moment you gather together with other believers, and there he is in your midst. What he does is he invites you into his presence, and when you're in his presence, what happens is that he tells you what things you need to lay down, what things can my fire before you're damned to hell? We don't want to be damned to hell, right? We don't want to be in that lake of fire. But what his, his good fire does, it burns off the things in our life that should not remain. So that's what happens in the presence of God. He is so gracious that he would invite you every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, in your room on Monday morning. Go into the presence of God and surrender your life to him. When you surrender your life to him, he saves you from being damned to hell. That's just the truth. But this truth of hell reveals how holy he is and he wants you to be close to him so he says oh would you just lay those things down it's not about like well maybe i just i'll try not to cuss as much i'll try not to get drunk again it's not about that he's like oh i want you to experience me so come here and be holy as i am holy so we can reside in the presence together he wants you in heaven with him. 
He doesn't want to leave his children behind. But here's the thing, not only is he holy, but the truth that hell exists reveals that he is patient. These theologians in the first century, they're trying to tell you that there's a better way, that there's a good way, there's a great father, there's a great God that is worth giving your life for that they were martyred for it. Do you hear me? They were martyred for it. But he's so patient that year after year, after generation, after decade, after century, all these years he's saying, one more chance for the gospel message to be, so, to, to be um, delivered throughout the whole entire planet so that every single one of my children can come to know me. I'm gonna give them chance after chance after chance. Some of you have been coming here week after week after week and you're saying, what, do I want this, do I want, yes, you want it. I promise you, you want it. It's a better life. And he's so patient that he's giving you another chance to say yes to him. Thank you, Lord, for being so good, so holy, and so patient with us. But also, the truth of the reality of hell is that it reveals not just his holiness, not just his patience, but his justice. Man, I think about the things that have been done unjustly to me. And I'm like, God, you better be just because I can't fix them. Oh, you know, there are people in this room who things have been done to you that have been unfair, that have been hurtful, that have crippled you, that have pained you, that have given you a sort of hell here on earth. But God is a just God and he will avenge those who love him. He is a just God. And it says here, since indeed God considers it just to replay, repay with affliction those who afflict you. Thank you, Jesus. So we are only required to love other people, not to punish our enemies, not to damn our enemies to hell, but to pray for them, to love them. We have an opportunity to just stay pure before him. He will take care of the unjust things that have happened in your life. He considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief. He wants to grant some of us relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on the day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Here is the main thing I want you to get. People will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God. God loves you so much that he's sharing this gospel message with you today that Jesus came to save you from your sin, save you from death, hell, and the grave and he wants you to be set free and the freedom that you experience is a freedom of the Spirit of God where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom there's freedom in Jesus name so thank you Lord that you are holy and you make a way to invite us into your presence and be holy as you are holy thank you that you are patient. Thank you that you are just. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
I believe that today was not a, a matter of understanding hell more and what that experience is like. It's about understanding a loving God who wants to save you from eternal damnation. You know, I think that if we hand, mishandle the truth of hell, then people will continue to misunderstand who God is. But the truth is that God is good. He is patient. He is loving. He is holy and he is just. Today was not about you. Like some of the things that I experienced growing up, man, there were these shows, did I tell you that? Or there were these, these performances called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And you guys, at six years old, I was scared to death of hell. That I would just be raptured. Raptured and what's gonna happen to all my friends? Just freaked out. And I think that we have to do a better job as Christians and followers of Christ to share those messages not in fear. I mean, we will fear the Lord because there's the truth there. But can we please talk about who God is and what he is saving you from? We deserve hell. We absolutely deserve it, but he's so gracious, holy, patient, and just. Jesus makes a way for all of us to be in his presence. So would you bow your heads in this place? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, you are so good. I believe that God is speaking to your hearts right now. Every time the word is opened, and I believe people open up their hearts even during worship, and the, the word of God was opened, and that truth has an opportunity to just fall over your mind and over your heart. So right now, I just want you to say a prayer. Oh, God, help me to retain this understanding of who you are. When the winds and the waves come and the distractions come and the, the things of this earth that are trying to toss me to and fro, oh, Lord, help me retain this truth that you are good, that you love me so much, that you would bring me here week after week, maybe for the first time, to understand that you are a loving God. God, I pray that you would seal this truth in the hearts of your people today. God, that they wouldn't be bound by guilt and shame any longer, but God, that they would live in the freedom of a loving God, that once we surrender our lives to him, our lives are full of greater joy and we are saved from eternal damnation and we can enjoy freely the presence of God. So if you're in this room with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you in this room and you, you, you want a relationship with God, can I tell you, that is all he wants. He doesn't want you to just avoid hell. He just wants a relationship with you. So if that's you in this place and you wanna give your life to him, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've walked away from him and you wanna come back to him and you're understanding who he is again, and you wanna just commit your life to him. If that's you in this room, I'm gonna to count to three. And when I count to three, would you lift your hand and just say, yes, Jesus, I wanna live for you. I wanna surrender my life to you. I wanna make you the Lord of my life, not just the savior of my soul, saving me from damnation. If that's you in this place, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Anybody? Yeah, I see those hands, two hands. I see that hand, I see that hand, 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 hand. Anybody else? I see that hand way back there. Yeah, lots of hands. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. 
Come on, everybody in the room, would you repeat after me as we make this statement of faith? Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today, for giving me your word that is truth. I accept it in my life. I believe that you love me. I believe that you can save me. I believe that you've forgiven me. I receive that today. I confess my need of you. I desperately need you. Give me more of you today and give me the strength to live for you for the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.